You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. If we've not met, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, It's a joy to have you uh, gather with us this morning. We are working our way through a series that's uh, got one more week. Next week, we'll wrap it up. We're calling it DTR, Define the Relationship, Define the Church Relationship, as we're sort of stepping back and asking, what does it mean to be a part of a church? What does it mean to be a member of a church? Not just this church, but maybe you're a guest visiting from another church, wherever uh, God has placed you in a local church. And we started off talking about the church as the family of God, that we are uh, to be devoted to one another with brotherly, sisterly, sort of familial affection. And then we started a process of going through five G's of what it means to be part of a church. We talked about the church that gathers. Uh, We talked about the church in groups, that is our smaller context for fellowship and discipleship. Uh, Last week, Caleb talked about uh, the church as those who give of their time, talents, and resources that we offer all to him uh, as we serve one another in the life of the church. And today I want to talk about the G, go. I'm not going to use the word go a whole lot today, but that is the idea behind what I'm talking about, the church scattered. So the church gathers, but we also scatter into various places, and as we do, we continue to bear responsibility for one another. Uh, That's part of what this video series that you saw this morning is about, that we, we, we seek to know Uh, one another, how we live out our lives, and we seek to support and encourage one another in all of our various callings. That's what we'll be talking about today. Um, One way you can sort of get a window into a culture, into a changing culture, is to pay attention to the language of a culture. Uh, When you when you see what kind of words are used and particularly what kinds of words are introduced into a culture, it tells you something about what's going on in that culture. I'm, I'm always fascinated. I don't see it every year, but I'm always fascinated about by the new words that are introduced to our dictionary every year. And so last year in 2021, there was a slew of words that were introduced to the Merriam-Webster's dictionary. I'm going to share a few of them with you now because they reflect both on our on our culture and they reflect on uh, uh, just development and progress in some cases and lack of progress, I would say, in others. So here's some words that are now in the dictionary. Here's one. This is one word. Am I right? Am I right? A-M-I-R-I-T-E. The definition is slang and our projectionist is a English teacher, so you've got to just be rolling over, not in your grave, but, it, it, but in your, at your computer, Robert. Um, am I right? Slang used in writing for, quote, am I right, to represent or imitate the use of this phrase as a tag question in informal speech. An example, English spelling is constantly inconsistent. Am I right? So that's how it's used. Here's some medical words that came in the last year. Breakthrough. Breakthrough, a medical term, an infection occurring in someone who's fully vaccinated against an infectious agent. 
That, that was not a word in the dictionary until last year, nor was the hyphenated word super spreader. That is now a word in the dictionary, an event or location at which a significant number of people contract the same communicable disease. So our language changes as things in the culture change. I was glad to know that now in the dictionary is the word air fryer. Um, It is an airtight, usually small electrical appliance for quick cooking of foods by means of convection currents circulated rapidly by a fan. Sounds very complex, but it's just a way to get yummy goodness prepared quickly. Air fryer. Another word, dad bod. This is in the dictionary now, dad bod. A physique regarded as typical of an average father, especially one that is slightly overweight and not extremely muscular. There are a lot of those in the room. Just look at me. Don't look around. Just don't be looking at anybody. Just heads forward. But there are a lot of dad bods. And to use this in a sentence, if you eat all your foods from an air fryer, you will end up with a dad bod. And the one, am I right? Yeah, well said. That is, that's better than an amen, am I right? And here's the one that's relevant for today's message. The term digital nomad. That is a word in the dictionary now, or two words, digital nomad. Someone who performs their occupation entirely over the internet while traveling. Especially such a person who has no permanent fixed home address. A person who freely lives and travels, does all of their work and most of their life probably digitally, a person who has no permanent fixed address. I want to talk today about the idea, I've talked about this before, but the idea of place and the importance of place. Because while there's a new word, digital nomad, that's kind of exotic and exciting in its title and lifestyle, the idea of just sitting on a beach and doing life on a laptop, it's kind of exciting. But God created us as embodied people who are suited to live out our callings, not as nomads, but in a place Thinking through our places, the places we go, the places we're called, the places we live and work and play is a very concrete way of helping us understand what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus in all of life? That's what we're going to talk about today. Think about the places and the relationships that you enjoy in those places or the potential relationships represented there in your home, your neighborhood, your work, where you shop, where you hang out, where you worship, where you volunteer, where you worship in gathered worship like this, where you volunteer. Your place is a concrete locale, a location where you are to be rooted to live out your faith in Christ, loving the people that you encounter. Your place is your context for discipleship. Sometimes discipleship can seem sort of amorphous, just vague, but when we think about where we're placed and with whom we are placed, discipleship can start to get real tangible 
and real because it involves real people where we are called to love God and neighbor. I'm going to talk about a theology of place. And to develop a theology of place, we need to start where the Bible starts with place. In Genesis 1, we see that God creates everything. It's, it's a universal act, a universal creation. But in chapter 2 of Genesis, we see God creating humanity and putting them in a specific location. You see, unlike God, who is omnipresent, all humans by nature are given a local, defined, embodied existence in a place. Uh, The Bible makes this clear in Genesis 2 verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. He is emplaced by the very nature of his creation. Adam and Eve are not only given work to do, but they are given a place to do their work. Now, I'm not here to rail like some Luddite against all digital technological uh, advantages, but I do want to push back against some of what we do assume that just as our progress, our our, our culture progresses digitally, that all, I want to push back against the idea that this is all positive or that this is all the way it is uh, supposed to be or that it is all the way that is best. Adam and Eve are given work, and they are given a place, a garden, where they fulfill God's calling. From here, the storyline of the Bible can be traced through the idea of place. It begins in a garden. Humans begin in a garden. And if you read all the way to the end of the Bible, you'll see that we, we finish. Humanity ultimately ends up in a city, inhabiting a new place, the new Jerusalem in the new heavens and new earth. But we physically inhabit that new place in resurrection bodies. And so it is about God dwelling with his people, God's people placed from beginning in a garden until the end in a city. Well, to follow the story out a little further, after creation comes the fall in chapter 3, where Adam and Eve disobey God and their rebellion results in a curse, which brings about a number of changes for them and for us. Uh, most notably, death. But one thing that is, that is often overlooked, certainly underemphasized in the curse, is this. They lose their place. They are driven from their place. Genesis 3, verses 23 through 24 makes this clear. Therefore the Lord God, look at this, sent him out. This is after they rebelled from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So the curse, we typically think about thorns and thistles, uh, hard work. We think about pain in child uh, bearing. Uh, These are things that we often think about, but it's very clear that part of the curse, a primary part of the curse, is that they are driven from their place. Craig Bartholomew, in a book about place, says the following, human identity 
is deeply bound up with place. And in Genesis 3, displacement is at the heart of God's judgment. Displacement is not exotic and exciting. It is a curse. It is part of the curse to lack a place. The idea of displacement or even placelessness brought deep angst to the first Israelites who read this text because they understood that placelessness is judgment. The, the Israelites wandered without a place for 40 years in the wilderness. And the wilderness wanderings are a picture uh, not of blessing, but of discipline from God. Or think about later in the story, we'll look at this in a second, but they are taken from their place to a new place, Babylon, to live no longer where God placed them, but to be uprooted. Uprooting is a normal part of our lives. Americans move an average of 14 times in their lives. We're among the highest of any culture in the world. We are really hypermobile. I've moved quite a bit. Uh, we are hypermobile. But biblically, loss of place is serious. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that the greatest existential crisis today is not meaninglessness, but rootlessness. I think there's something to that, that the greatest existential crisis is not just uh, meaninglessness, a lack of meaning, but rootlessness, no roots, no family, no legacy, no, uh, no building for the long term, no investing our lives in people and in places, relationships, activities, our work, but to be rootless. In the Old Testament, it's clearly not a blessing. Genesis 2 and 3 sets the trajectory for the whole Old Testament. God's people who were emplaced in the garden are now displaced and kicked out of the garden. The next major uh, movement in the story is God's call to Abraham in Genesis 12. And what does God tell Abraham? What is the great hope? Well, he tells him that he's going to make him a nation, a people, but he tells him they will have a land. It's called the promised land. The great hope that God offers his people that is that you will, uh, you will find a place to dwell and live out your calling for the glory of God as a witness to the nations about what God is like. So he tells Abram, leave your place and I'll show you a new place, a land. And so skipping tons of history, that happens. They come into the land, and not only do they live in the land God has given them, but uh, they uh, ultimately build a temple there, and it is established as the place of worship where they encounter their God, the center of their lives. They have their place. God has fulfilled his calling to them, God's people in God's place. But all is not well in the story. Israel is ever up and down in their faith towards God. They're very fickle. And they constantly battle the alluring call of idols to worship other gods in their place. And so God sends prophets to them and calls them to turn to him in repentance, leave the idols, and believe in him. But they persist in their 
rebellion of worshiping the Baals. And what happens? Well, God brings discipline, judgment to them. And at the root of this judgment is a loss of place, right? They, they, he sends people in who ransack their city, destroy their temple. They are exiled into the godless land of Babylon. Now, graciously, God later returns them to the place where they rebuild the city. They rebuild the temple. Uh, you can read about that in, in uh, we see that in the Old Testament, the prophets, we read about that in Haggai, read about that in, uh, in Ezra and Nehemiah. They return and rebuild, and once again, they are in their place. And in their place, under the, with the second temple built there in Jerusalem, they await the Savior. In the coming of Jesus, God himself comes to his people in the flesh. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt is a place word that God comes to us. In his paraphrase of the New Testament called the message, Eugene Peterson has famously translated, or, or not translated, paraphrased that verse as follows. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What's the idea? God came to our place. God came personally to our place, born in a specific place, Bethlehem, raised in a specific place, Nazareth, crucified in a specific place, the hill called Golgotha, buried in a place, a tomb, and raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and there he pours out his spirit upon his church. He indwells believers with the Spirit and commissions us to mission. And what is that mission? Well, it's to take the good news to places, people in places. Acts 1.8 says, he, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That God calls his people to spread his gospel. And we read about that in the book of Acts, how it spreads and, and what happens with the spreading of the gospel. Well, people believe and churches are planted. And in the book of Acts and in all the New Testament, we see the kingdom of God takes root in people's lives who follow Christ together in the places that they live. This is why, the importance of place, this is why the New Testament is not a series of theological position papers. All of the books of the New Testament are not theological position papers. Even the books that seem to have the least to do with the context, like the book of Romans, there's still, a, there's still context there. God is still communicating. There's still parts of that letter that's very local in its application and in its flavor. But most of the New Testament, that's what the letters are. They're written to people in a context, in a place. So Paul writes to Corinth, or Paul writes to Thessalonica. Peter writes to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The New Testament doesn't minimize the idea of place. It expands the importance of place. Because now the kingdom is spreading to the nations to reach every tribe, tongue, language, and people. 
And, and, and one author describes this whole progress of the gospel outward, the, the plan of God to unite all things in Christ, the plan of God in this age, that the work of Christ, quote, continues into the present through communities of believers who are faithfully rooted in their places, embodying Christ in ways that can be experienced and known by the particular people who live in those places. That the, if you read the New Testament, the whole plan is that people, that people would come to Christ, families would come to Christ, that churches would be birthed in locales so that the lost people in those locales could look and see a lived-out witness of what a community, community transformed by the gospel looks like. It, it's the advertisement. It's the brochure. It's the website for the gospel is the people of God living out on mission in the places he's called them. This isn't to deny that, the, that no one ever gets saved over the internet or that there's not benefit to some kind of digital ministry, but it's also to emphasize that this means of spreading the gospel wasn't just because 2,000 years ago they were primitive and that's all they had. But once the internet comes, we'll need no longer any of this old school, ancient, embodied presence, flesh and blood, people together sharing life. We'll no longer need that. No, that's not the case. We are created, physical creatures, bodily creatures, to encounter one another. And that is the very means of the gospel going forth. If you're here today and you're not a believer uh, in Jesus Christ and you're in the room, that, that God wants you to observe his people. Part of being here for you is to hear the message that Jesus died for sinners and gives new life to all who would trust in him as their Lord, uh, as, their, as their Savior who died for them and rose for them to forgive our sins and to give us new life and to join us to himself and his purpose to make all things new in the universe. Um, but he, he wants you to know that message and believe it, but he wants you to observe the validity of that message in people whose lives have been changed, not only individually, but joined together as a community. So we are called to faithfully live in our places with one eye on our place and one eye on our future place. This is what Jesus says in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So we're called to a place and at the same time, we long for a place. This world is not our home. This place is not our ultimate home. We're called to be rooted, to be faithful, to live out our lives in community with God's people, to live out our lives with people that don't know him as well uh, as we go into our various places uh, to love and serve people and represent Christ to them, befriend them, to be a blessing uh, wherever we are to help others around us flourish. That is our calling. But until we arrive in that place that Jesus is preparing for us right now, according to John 14, there's much to do in this place.
God has called you to a place, and it really matters. A couple points of application that I want to make to us this morning about the scattered church as we go to the various places. The first one is this, know your place. Think about where has God placed you. Start with where you live, the apartment building, the condo, the house, the neighborhood, subdivision, wherever wherever it is that you live. Start with where you live and ask God to, to help you to know your place, starting with your own dwelling. Starting with how can you use that place? It is the place you walk out so much of your discipleship. It's, it's the place where you uh, eat plenty of your meals. It's the place where you sleep. It's the place where you um, are entertained. It's the place where you read. It's the place where you work. Uh, in various ways, it's the place where you are with your family. If you have a family or with your roommates, as the case may be. So it's a place where you live out much of your life uh, in what is the first advertisement for summer classes. Uh, I want to let you know that this summer, one of our classes will be on hospitality. It'll be a team-taught class about uh, how we use, part of it will be about how we use where we live for the glory of God. If we are to uh, discover our place in God's mission, uh, which is our theme this year, discovering our place in God's mission, then we want to discover the place of our residence in the mission of God. And so we'll be talking about that. You can take that class this summer. But think beyond your place, your dwelling as well. Think beyond it to your apartment building or your neighborhood. Do you know your neighbors? You're not just randomly renting or buying some spot. God has placed you there for a purpose. And a big part of that purpose is those who you encounter around you. Do you know your neighbors? about the old Sesame Street song, which I'll not sing for you, but who are the people in your neighborhood? It's a great song. (laughs) Who are the people in your neighborhood? They're the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. They're the people that you, I don't know, meet, greet, see each day. I forget the next word, but that you see every day. Do you know the people around you? How about in your school? Do you see that as just a place, if you're a student, do you see that as just a place to spend, you know, a number of hours each day against your will? Or do you see it as a place that God has placed you? The Lord did a really amazing work in my life at the end of my sophomore year. And I don't know that since that time I've had a more fruitful day-to-day evangelistic life than my junior and senior year of high school because never in the rest of my life have I been around that many people that I'm having relationship with and connected to all the time. Uh, Life's just not high school or college. It just changes as you get older. You get focused. You got other responsibilities, and it's not all about me and my friends. But there's that season where that is a unique time. And God wants you, if you're a student in high school, middle school, high school, college, even younger if you're in the room, God wants you to think about the place he's placed you and the people, the teachers, the administrators, the coaches, the fellow students where he's placed you. You're not just doing your time till you can get on to your life. This is your life. 
don't waste the opportunity to live for Jesus where he's placed you. Living for Jesus is not some vague idea. There's some feeling in my heart. It's tangible, concrete faithfulness to the Lord with the people he's placed me around to love and to serve them and to communicate the gospel to them. Maybe your kids are in school. Are you rooted in your kids' school? Do you know the teachers? Do you know the fellow parents? How about your workplace? Now, maybe it is largely digital. Maybe it's not. But do you know your coworkers? Do you make an effort to know them? Or are you just doing a job to make money so that you can get to what's really important? your family, and your church. By the way, your family and your church are really important. But so is your coworker. So is the people that God has called you to be with, your place, the people you work with. Do you know them? Do you listen to them? Do you know their story? Do you ask questions? Do you, do you know the burdens and the challenges of the people that you work with, do you know? How about your third places? Where are the people, uh, do you know the, the third places that you go? Do you know the people there? Your park, maybe you don't see the same people all the time, but maybe you do if it's a neighborhood park. Who are the people at your park or the people at your gym or the people at your coffee shop, your third places? God cares about your place. He doesn't just care about this place. He does care about this place that we're in right now. But, but he cares about where you're going to go this afternoon and where he's placed you. And he strategically puts you there. He cares about those people. And that's why in the Great Commission, there is the calling to go, which can mean relocate for sure. Some people relocate for the sake of mission. Uh, apostles, church people that do church planting or missionary work. But it also can be translated as you go. Meaning that as you go, you are to make disciples. That as you go, where do you go? To the places that you do life is where you go. And God has called you with a purpose there. And it starts with knowing your place, not taking your place for granted. You ever moved to a new place? Some of you have. About half the room, you lived in California six months ago. And, uh, and we, I, I lived in California for 20 years. I, we welcome you. I love, I love I've, most of my life, almost all my life, it's been in California and Texas. And uh, so that's two great places. So we, we welcome you. And if you're new, you're looking around like everything looks really new and different and all this kind of stuff. But you know what? Give it a year and it's going to be very or less. It'll be very familiar. And we just start taking things for granted. We don't look around. So, so look around where you work and where you live. Know your place. Number two, engage your place. How can we start engaging with those people in our place. A couple suggestions along these lines. One would be the, the weather is getting great. Now's the time that you can do a prayer walk in your place regularly. Maybe this is part of your regular. This has been significant for me as a, as a, a practice that's really, really helpful. I don't do it every day or necessarily I don't do it in the winter, but even that, I don't do it all the time, but I do it enough that it's, it's helped me. 
to walk your physical space, you know, walk your space where you live, asking God to open your eyes to the people, the culture, the needs, the brokenness, the opportunities. Walk your third place, your park, asking those things or at your at your gym. Sit in your coffee shop sometime if you go there regularly and just take time to sit and watch and pray. See what you notice. If your company has a campus of some sort or you work on a job site, there's some sense in which you have a physical domain where you work. Uh, take your lunch break and sit and, and if you can do this and eat your lunch and watch the people and pray. That won't relate to many of you, but to many of you it will. Do this regularly and see what opens up. See who you meet. See what conversations ensue. See what the Lord does when we take the places he's placed us seriously. And more importantly, we take the lives of those that we encounter seriously. You see what happens. What, what happens. You will be surprised at what the Lord does. What will you learn? Who will you spontaneously meet? What kind of conversation will happen? In a book called Staying is the New Going, which is my favorite title of almost, except for Holy Bible, this may be my favorite title of any book, Staying is the New Going. Alan Briggs in that book writes, the place you already live is the most obvious but most overlooked place to start ministry. Isn't that true? We often think that ministry is out there somewhere. It's over there. It's in another country. It's in another location. It's with a different group of people. It's something that someone else is doing. But ministry is right where God has placed you, engaging right with the people that he has called you to relate to right where you are and you engage it by living an intentionally faithful life with your eyes open and your heart ready to engage the people that you encounter the people that you do recreation with the other parents on your kids soccer team your coworker who is right now going through a divorce the widow who lives next door to you the mechanic who repairs your car, and you hate to see him, but you're having to see him a lot more these days. And the Lord is doing that. Your car's breaking down because he wants you to befriend that guy and reach out to him. I mean, it might become the best thing that's ever happened to you. Uh, so who are these people that God has called us? If we just need to pray and ask God that would open our eyes and to do as much of our life in the same repetitive sort of places that we can. We, we always want to go somewhere else, you know, um, rather than going to the same places. Some of us are creatures of habit, and we like to go to the same places, the same restaurant. Some of us do that. Same coffee shop, same restaurant, same store. So we can develop relationships. But other, others of us go, wow, there's cooler places elsewhere. So I just want to take any opportunity I have. I'm going to drive somewhere else where it's cool to do stuff. And miss maybe where God has placed you. The key to fruitfulness is God at work, is to realize God is at work in your place already. Right now, he's at work in people's lives, and he's looking for you to wake up and join in on what he's doing. Just to be aware, what's he doing? 
whose life is currently being affected. So know your place, engage your place. The last idea I want to share is stay in your place. Stay in your place. Effectiveness almost always grows over time. In most cases, not always, but in most cases, fruitfulness is tied to long-term faithfulness. It's true in a neighborhood. It's true in a job. It's true in a church. Relationships take time, and community is built slowly, very slowly. I'm not saying it's wrong or it's sinful to take a new job or to move to a new city or a new place. Last week, one of our elders, Bob, stood in this pulpit and through tears of grief communicated how Lord, the Lord, grateful for the Lord's leading, is leading him at this season of his life to return uh, to where his family is in uh, Virginia. But what made that powerful was he had invested 17 years in a place, pouring out his heart. And that's why it wasn't a flippant, got to go, see you guys. But he shared the news with you through tears. Why? Because he had invested in a place. So we blessed and celebrated that he's going. Please do not mishear what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's wrong to ever move churches, move cities, move jobs, uh, whatever it is, move neighborhoods. I'm not saying that. Um, but, but, but I would say that there's not as many good reasons to relocate as our culture tells us. There's not as many good reasons to start a new job as the culture tells you. There's not as many good reasons to leave these friendships and get some new ones as our culture tells us. There is a value of serving and relating over time. Rootedness and depth takes time. And that's why so many in our culture have no rootedness and no depth. Uh, and it's sad. It, it's, it's, really, it's really sad. We think we'll bear the most fruit by getting out and doing the most new stuff and having the most new experiences. The reality is that you bear the most fruit, oftentimes, through staying where God has placed you. It's true in a church as well. I, I read a story where an author told about a guy named Will. And this is what he said. Will told me the story of relocating his family to be part of a church that takes community seriously. After a year in the new location, he met with one of his pastors to talk about how things were going. Life was good, Will reflected, and he was grateful for the welcome that he and his family had received at the new church. But he wasn't sure that he was experiencing the community he had expected. Frankly, Will had hoped for more. The pastor listened to his misgivings and then asked how long Will and his family had been there. About a year, Will replied. Then I guess you've got a year's worth of community, his pastor said matter-of-factly. Stay another year, you'll have two years' worth. Stay 30, you might find some of what you're looking for. Do we even have a category for something like that? Do we even have a category? I went from Bob's testimony to a welcome home new member lunch last week. Bunch of new people. And I did a little math and I realized, well, I've 
uh, deeply affected by Bob's leaving because he's a dear friend and co-laborer. And many of you know him, relate with him. And I sat in front of his new people, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. They don't even know all of our warts. They're, they're discerning, but they probably don't really know what they're getting into in this bunch. They don't, Because <laughs> if they really knew us, maybe they wouldn't be joining. I don't know. But at any rate, uh, I thought Bob stood here with meaningful relationships and deep roots in the church. They could have the same thing in 2039. That's 17 years from now. I don't know if you were at that lunch, but do you have a vision for 2039? I don't know that God will keep you here. God may move you well before then. But, but would you be open? To, it's possible God would call me to put down roots for 17 years or longer. For a church to make a real difference in a community, it needs rooting. And rooting comes from people who stay and invest even when it's no longer exciting. And when God does call us away, he does. When he does call us away, it's not to go be a consumer somewhere else. It's to go to a place where I can invest in a neighborhood, a workplace, a church for the long term. God always calls us away to root us, not to blow us along in some kind of surface here to there and everywhere. We need to fight the temptation to believe that real life is somewhere else, doing something else with someone else. It's not. Real life is right where you are. Discipleship is following Jesus where you are today with the people he's put you with today. That's the calling of God. Real life is applying the gospel where I am, building relationships where I am, and looking for opportunities to live and to speak the good news of Jesus Christ in a gospel conversation with the people he has placed me with. We want to be known as someone faithful in the neighborhood, reliable in the workplace, involved in the school or the sports league or whatever it is, committed to the local church community, following Jesus in everyday life in my place anticipating the place that he is preparing for us and by God's grace, bringing as many people as possible with us to that day when we meet him face to face. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.